Hello and thanks for downloading or streaming this podcast from Scarborough Borough Council. This is the December edition of In Conversation With, presented by me, Andy Carter. And I'm also joined in the podcast booth today by Gabrielle Janzio. Hi, Gabrielle. Hi, Andy. Every month we chat to the leader of the council, Councillor Steve Siddons, or another member of the cabinet to find out more about what we are doing across the borough and an update on activity. Welcome again, Steve. Thank you, Gabrielle, and morning, Andy. This podcast is also your chance to ask questions of our political leaders, so if there's a burning issue or query you have, you can send it to us via email. The address is podcasts at scarborough.gov.uk. You can also visit the podcast page on our website, scarborough.gov.uk forward slash podcasts. So here we are in December, Steve, and we're recording this in the week before Christmas. Are you ready for the big day? Are any of us ever ready for the big day? It's, uh, it always seems so far away until you suddenly get to the last few days and then remember all the things that you haven't done. So it's the usual chaotic, organised planning um, in our house with lots of people coming and, uh, and it will be a lovely occasion as always. OK, we'll end the podcast about talking about Christmas as well, because there's a few things that Gabrielle and I are very keen to understand about your kind of Christmas celebrations and choice of music. But let's start this month's um, episode by talking about our December cabinet, which happened just a couple of days ago. Um, some interesting issues came forward this time, not least our performance, which is very good. Um, our financial position seems very healthy. And we're making rapid progress, it seems, to dealing with our carbon emissions. And we'll be in a much better place uh, next year, mainly because of a trial of a special fuel we're using instead of diesel at the moment. So Cabinet overall, um, a lot of great news about where we are as an authority. It was and and is. Um, I think it's ironic really, isn't it? We've We've battled for, between between ourselves and the previous administration, battled to keep our finances on track over many years. And here we are in the, the last throes of Scarborough Borough Council. And, uh, and we've got a, a great financial outturn, great performance outturn. And, and that's credit to all the staff who've, who, at the end of the day, they're the ones who do this. And they deserve a big thank you for all the work that they've done over the last 12 months and more. Usually, of course, at this time of the year, we'd be thinking about our new financial budget and setting that ready because our financial year sort of kicks in in March, April. Uh, Slightly different in 2023 because we won't be here beyond um, April. So it sort of feels a bit odd, doesn't it, in terms of that kind of normal process of some of the things we have to deal with? Well, it is strange. Um, I don't think we've been in this position for 40, 50, 60 years last time there was a change to local government in this kind of way. Um, I think what's worth pulling out of this is the fact that when we move to the new authority in April next year, our commitment as a borough council was to make sure that we put enough funding into the new council to make sure that there wasn't a a deficit uh, in the respect of people across on the Yorkshire coast. And we've done that and more besides. And people who want to read the, the document will see that not only have we put away the £8 million that North Yorkshire require to transfer over to continue with the services. But we've also got another £7 million plus, uh, which 
we would like to see used for the benefit of the people of this borough. And we're in discussion with North Yorkshire at the moment about how we do that and bring forward some of the schemes uh, which will inevitably roll into the new authority. We're not going to do them all before the 1st of April. Um, but that's a piece of work that's ongoing at the moment. And that's a really good news story, or should be, for people uh, to understand. And, uh, and I hope that people get a chance to have a look at what the figures are. Now, we're looking ahead to um, the potential prospect of a cinema in Scarborough, which has long been a um, wish for both councillors, the rest of us here at the Borough Council, and also, I think, I think amongst the general public. I think it's probably fair to say that plans for a cinema in the town centre are probably at a relatively advanced stage compared with previous years. Are you able to tell us a bit more about that, Steve? As you know, Gabrielle, and certainly people who follow things I say over the years will know that I've been very keen to see a cinema in the town centre. I think it's the right place to put one. It will bring more footfall into the town, which is so important, not only for the nighttime and early evening economy, but also for the shops and businesses that are in town. And having a cinema, a multi-screen cinema in this case, and the associated food and beverage offers that will come with it, as we understand, is going to make a big difference to Scarborough Town Centre and I, and I really do welcome it. We, we've been working closely with Scarborough Group over the last 12 months since they purchased the Brunswick. We've worked on a scheme that is now coming forward to planning. It will see a cinema of, of six or seven screens together with the associated food and beverage offer to take part in and have a pizza or a drink and, uh, and enjoy themselves in more than just being in a cinema. It will be a, a, a full entertainment centre, really. So I'm looking forward to that coming forward to uh, planning uh, in the near future. So that sounds brilliant, Steve, and I'm sure will be really welcomed by, by many people, both live here and those that visit Scarborough very often. In terms of timescale then, um, beyond the planning element of it, what are the indicative timescales of when you know, people could see development happening and potentially then the cinema opening? Well, as I understand it, the, uh, assuming they get planning permission and, and have no reason to suppose they, they won't and be able to negotiate uh, a sound planning approval, um, it will probably be later into 2023 before it starts uh, with a view to being completed sometime later in 24. So we, we're probably looking at almost two years away before you can actually come and watch a film there. To be honest, we've waited for many, many years to have, have this kind of facility in the town. So another... 20 to 24 months is not the end of the world. Um, but frankly, that's how long things take. You can't really speed that part of it up. Thank you. Some of you may have um, either heard or seen in the local press in recent weeks certain claims by Benchmark, who were the people that we used to partner with on the North Bay development, some of which, shall we say, are probably choice claims. Um, would you like to clarify some of those, Steve? Well, I think this is just uh, another step in, in the long road that we've had with Benchmark. Benchmark uh, have worked with Scarborough Borough Council for many years. And uh, whilst I don't want to go into the detail of, of how that's worked out, um, I think it's fair to say that most people are probably glad to see that contract come to an end. I know that 
I was pleased that we could bring that contract to an end because it was not really going anywhere and, uh, and has allowed us to rethink the North Bay proposals. We've now got a new master plan for the North Bay. We've got uh, the opportunity to do different things. We've had a huge consultation on that and the members of the public have been very helpful in telling us what they think should be in the North Bay and that's largely around um, natural activity, environmental things, things to do with uh, adrenaline sports and and the sea and, and the land and so on. And I think that kind of feel to the North Bay is one that we should maintain. And uh, I think that things are starting to move with that. And, and again, we will work with North Yorkshire as we progress into the new authority to make sure that we don't lose any... any um, speed on or impetus in, in getting those projects done. Some of the other issues we wanted to talk to you um, this week relate to strikes, um, Steve. So we are recording on Monday the 19th of December ahead of Christmas. Lots of discussion on um, the national media today about the ambulance strike, which is due to impact on Wednesday. We've had nurses on strike for the first time for some people in their, their living memory. And of course, there's been a lot of disruption recently on trains for passengers because of rail workers taking industrial action. It seems we're sort of in a winter of discontent ish putting aside the cold weather where do you stand because we've never really asked you about sort of the strikes uh, and as a Labour councillor Labour politician uh, what's your thoughts on, on where we are with with this current action I think my view is probably like many people's view is that strikes should be used as a last resort but if you get to a position where the government or the or the employers will not talk to people and have a a, ta- a roundtable discussion about where the grievances are and where the solutions are, then strikes become an inevitable part of that. And I think that most reasonable people understand that and have been really supportive of, of the various groups of workers. And I think, you know, you mentioned earlier that it's the first time in the NHS's history that nurses have gone on strike. And that really says it all, doesn't it? That they have never gone on strike before. So something's happened that, that has made them feel that this is, this is not sustainable. And it's not just about the money, it's about a whole range of things. But money, of course, is an important part of it for everybody. So I, I hope that, that the government and the employers will work with with the uh, staff to make sure that there's a solution to this uh, as very as quickly as possible because it's not doing anybody any good and you know like everybody else I've uh, I've had to make alternative arrangements for for the trains and uh, and I'm sure that if I needed the hospital it would be a bit more difficult than it normally is so it, it's it's not helping anybody but I think that there needs to be, it's like everything, you, you don't solve anything unless you're absolutely prepared to sit down and discuss it properly rather than having an agenda to start with that um, doesn't enable that to continue. Who needs to move first though? Is it the employers stroke government or is it the unions? Well, I, I'm not party to those discussions, obviously, but I understand that the government have put pressure on employers not to settle uh, in the way that maybe the employers would have been prepared to settle. I don't know how true that is, but um, I, I read the news and I read it not just from one source, but from a variety of sources to try and get a balance across it. And that's, that's the kind of feeling I get. 
Can we afford all these pay rises, though? And is right is now the right time to be, um, I suppose, acknowledging uh, and then agreeing to, in some cases, like a nineteen percent pay rise? It almost seems unaffordable and just starts a circle of of kind of continuous problems while we're trying to bring inflation down. I think that that's a story that the right wing press would like to uh, perpetuate. That uh, if you give people large pay rises, that creates more inflation, and and is a self fulfilling prophecy. Uh, I've I've read a lot of detail from very eminent uh, financial people that says absolutely the opposite. That you you give people more money, they go out and spend more. That creates more employment. That creates more businesses and and so on. It depends who you believe, doesn't it? Uh, I think I believe believe the second one. Talking of strikes, there is um, some potential, I guess, depending on who you who you believe, of strikes relating to cutbacks in BBC local radio. And the National Union of Journalists is very keen to try and make sure the BBC uh, stops this proposed set of changes to local radio. It's been discussed by politicians, uh, not just in our borough, but across the country. Um, for instance, one of those changes would be that lots more shared programming. So in an afternoon, as a listener in Whitby, Filey or Scarborough to Radio York, you might end up hearing politicians from Sheffield discussing whatever issues they've got in Sheffield that week. What's your thoughts on what you know of of those proposed changes to BBC Radio? First of all, I would say that I believe that the BBC is is an absolutely essential part of our the fabric of our society, and I think it's a it's an amazing thing, like the NHS in many ways, and uh, it's quite unique, I think, across the world. I don't think there's many other places that have the similar kind of broadcasting situation. My personal experience of uh, of local radio is that it's really good. Uh, it's not to everybody's taste, but a lot of people do listen to it. A lot of people value that local input and being able to listen to people who know their local area. And uh, when certainly when I want to get a message out, Places like Radio York and, uh, and for that matter, the former Yorkshire Coast Radio were always very good at helping with that. And, and in fact, I'm, I'm speaking to them later this morning about something else. So it, it's really important. And I know that from the experience of Yorkshire Coast Radio moving to Greatest Hits Radio, uh, it's, it certainly doesn't have that local feel anymore. And I know that if I do an interview for them... I've got to get my message across in about 20 seconds because they don't have the capacity to be able to do more in-depth interviews that they used to do. And I think that's a shame uh, because I think it's important that people get those views and understand uh, people's different positions on things. And it's just sound bites now. So if that's the way that BBC local radio goes, I'm fearful for its future, really. Maybe there should be more podcasts like this. Half an hour of hearing from you once a month, and we've we've had hundreds of downloads since we started this series. This seems to be a kind of medium that works quite well. well. I, I, I think you know you've sort of said that half tongue in cheek, I suppose. But it, no, that's absolutely right, and uh, and maybe that's the way things will go. Uh, we have the technology now to do that, and I think that uh, I know we're in the early stages of this. We've only been doing it here at Scarborough for a few months now, but. As you say, the, the, the listenership is building and, um, and I hope that people find these conversations useful. I don't get the chance to speak to large groups of people. This is an opportunity to be able to do that 
and you know it's a two-way thing isn't it because we get people asking questions or, or they'll listen to something and say i don't understand that what's that about so we get we get that two-way flow of information which is really what what all this is about it's about communication about talking to people isn't it and listening certainly is well let's just do that quick plug then you're listening to an edition of In Conversation With. It's a podcast from Scarborough Borough Council. Steve Siddons is the uh, slightly croaky, deep voice you can hear uh, this month, who's our leader of council, and I'm Andy and Gabrielle. And talking of questions, we have three this month. So, Gabrielle, I think you're going to take us through them. Yes, thanks, Andy. And I have to say, your, your voice is uh, quite thematic at the moment with it being December, Steve. I'll take that as a compliment. And so the first question um, this month comes from Richard. Um, with the end of the borough and district councils only a few months away, are there any plans to follow the Hambleton Council approach to pay off senior staff seemingly at the cost of the local council taxpayer? No, uh, I, I don't know. I'm not going to comment on Hambleton. I don't know. I don't know the details of what they do, but I can tell you that uh, the majority of staff here at Scarborough. Uh, in one way or another, we'll be moving over to the new authority, uh, some into new roles, some into existing roles that they have now. And I think that it's fair to say, I'm, I'm not a spokesperson for North, the New York, North Yorkshire Council, but I think like, like me, they are keen to make sure that staff are treated fairly. Uh, and appropriately as they move to the new authority. But there are no golden handshakes. Uh, they've, they went long, long ago. There's, there's a myth runs around that everybody gets golden handshakes and so on, but this, I, I've not come across it, and I've worked in local government for most of my life, and uh, there might have been 50 years ago, but certainly not now. So I, I think that staff are at the heart of everything we do, as well as the public, and I think it's important that we, we look after them and make sure there's a seamless transition. Because at the end of the day, uh, the new authority is going to be providing exactly the same services that, that we provide. So they need the staff to do it. And they need experienced staff who know what they're doing. Our second question comes from Tanya. What does Councillor Siddons think about the plans for 30 unelected community networks throughout North Yorkshire when the new unitary council is established, which some councillors have called crackers, according to local media reports? I think that the best way to deliver services in a democratic way is to have properly elected people who stand on a platform that they are passionate about and want to deliver services in that way and then people have some clarity about who they're electing and to what purpose most people who become councillors don't do that lightly you you think very carefully long and hard because uh, as much as some people like to suggest it's a it's a bit of a joyride it's absolutely not uh, it's a huge amount of work and people put a huge amount of time and effort into trying to serve the people who who live in the area where they live too. If you put a, a group of people who are essentially not elected or elected in a, a very sort of undemocratic way, then I don't think you get that. I think you there's a, there's a potential to get a lot of nimbyism, there's a potential to get people who have one particular issue at heart and that can completely distort the way that services are provided. And I don't think that's what the majority of people would want. I think the majority of people would like to think that 
the person they've elected, they know what they stand on, they know what their position is, they know what party they're, they're supporting, which gives them, a, again, a broader idea of their general position. That is a, a much better way of doing it. I think that none of this has been properly thought through. This is my personal opinion. I'm not involved in it. I don't think it's, it could be better thought through. And I think it will develop over time. I think that the new council have got a lot of issues to deal with at the moment. They've said very early on in this process that they want to bring services to the heart of local people. And they have to do that because it's a really big authority. And, and people who've listened to me before will know what my view is on that. I think, I think the new local authority is far too big. I don't see how someone who lives in the 15 miles from Blackpool will have the same interests in, in, uh, in their services that we have on the Yorkshire coast. So I think it will develop over time and I think some of these things will get ironed out. But if I had the opportunity to make that decision, I don't think I would be doing that. I think I'd be looking for something that made people, the average person in the street, fully aware of the people who are supporting them and are representing them and what their views are on things. And then they know who to come to. And invariably, they know who that person is because they're, they're in the public spotlight. So they can go talk to them and they can... Uh, they can get things resolved. Um, some of these people may be, may not be in the public spotlight. They may be hidden, and and we all know that there are certain people who have hidden agendas in uh, in places like like the Yorkshire coast, and uh, they will they will feast off this kind of thing. And I think that's uh, that's to the detriment of democracy in the area. And as you touched there, Steve, on, on where people can go now, and of course there are many town and parish councils, um, obviously at the moment, not in Scarborough are, Town yeah. specifically, but um, across our current borough where you say there are those elected representatives and, that, and are do, are. Do, that are doing more of those local services. Yeah. And I think it's the local bit that's important. People, yeah. people know who's on a parish council usually. There are people who live down your street or in the next street, and you can go... Go speak to them about things. And um, I just don't know. It'll be interesting to see how this plays out. And I, and I think North Yorkshire are, are trying to do it for the right reasons, but I'm not sure they've got it right at the moment. Um, but it, it's an evolving situation, I guess. But to answer your first question, no, I'm not really in yeah. favour of this at all. And as you say, time will tell. Mm. Our last question today comes from Molly. What does the leader think about calls to turn the old part of the town hall into a museum? This is something that we've deliberated about over recent months. You know, what happens to the town hall when uh, the new authority takes over? But maybe the answer's simpler than most people think. Um, the services, as I said earlier on, are still going to have to be provided here on the coast. They're not suddenly going to migrate to to North Allerton. They'll have to be provided here, the vast majority of them. And the staff who work and provide those services will be local. And where else will they go but in the town hall? Now, there's a, a wider view about the town hall um, and whether, as people who've been following the station gateway proposals will know that uh, there's a plan to, to move some of our services and some of the new North Yorkshire services into accommodation around that station gateway. Uh, and if that comes to fruition, then, then that will happen. 
But at the moment, um, people will still carry on working from the town hall, so, so nothing really will change here. There won't be any members here other than the, the 15 members who are local to this borough. They may decide to still hold their meetings in here, uh, but that's for them to say. Uh, but other than that, the, most of the meetings will be held at North Allerton. But, but we still need staff and they will still carry on doing their job here. OK, thank you, Steve. Let's wrap things up as we approach our half-hour time. Steve, you've written a column for our Residence News newsletter uh, this week, which is your seasonal Christmas message. Uh, reflecting on 2022, what do you say to the residents and businesses across the borough as they approach Christmas and maybe your thoughts for what 2023 may bring us? I think it's been very similar to the previous year or two years in that we've had a really tough time locally, nationally and internationally. And, and I can't remember in my lifetime um, quite so much bad news every day. Uh, wherever you look, whether it's, whether it's on local issues, national issues or international issues. And um, I think people are worried. They're worried about the cost of living crisis. They're worried about what's happening uh, in other parts of the world, particularly in Eastern Europe, um, in Ukraine. And um, I think I'd hope like many that uh, next year brings a turn around in those fortunes that we find solutions to some of those problems and and are able to move on and move back to a a more regular kind of life that we uh, that we've enjoyed in the past I think we need to end on a positive, don't we, really, and try and um, you know be positive about this year, despite all the difficulties and all the challenges, and certainly the backdrop is very different as we end 2022 uh, as to, to the end of 2021. But let's try and end on a high. When you drive back home from the podcast booth today, what's your Christmas tune that we're playing on your car stereo? Do you have a favourite? I don't think I have a favourite. I like lots of different music and lots of different genres, and um, I suppose the obvious answers to that question when you mentioned driving home would be Chris Ray's driving home for Christmas. Many times I've, I've worked out of, uh, out of this town and I've had to drive home for Christmas and I, I must admit I have played that song a time or two. It brings back memories and it brings back, uh, uh, makes you remember what Christmas is about. Well, Cliff Richard has a new Christmas hit out, doesn't he? He obviously needs to repair his house or maybe he needs some new flowers or something. Cliff Richard always has a Christmas yeah. hit out. It's not as good as Saviour's Day, which I have to say is <laughs> probably my personal favourite. Gabrielle, we should just ask you while we're here. I don't think, a bit like Steve, I probably don't have a favourite, but something I saw over the weekend, which probably made me feel really old, actually, that the original Snowman film is 40 years old this year. Mm. Um, and there was quite a lot of programming about it over the weekend, um, the history of it, how it came to be. Um, so, you know, walking in the air springs to mind. Mm. It always takes you straight back to being a, a child and seeing that film for the first time, or should I say animation, so you've, so you've heard it here first. We're all going to be spinning discs in the new year on this yeah, podcast. Yeah, well, I wonder whether we should launch our own radio station. Yeah, we could have as long as long and local news bulletins about political issues as we like and play our favourite Christmas songs in the middle of May if we chose. There we go. Yeah. Sounds yeah. like a great idea. Ideas, yeah, we just need to persuade the boss that this is a great use of, uh, of, of local taxpayers' resource. Anyway, right, well, look, thank you, Steve, for coming on the show again uh, this month. Before we go, let's quickly look ahead to next month's edition, which will be published towards the end of 
of January, so there'll be a slightly bigger gap between this edition uh, episode and the next one. And don't forget, of course, fundamentally, this podcast is your chance to put your questions to Steve or another member of our cabinet. So if there is something you'd like to ask, please email podcasts at scarborough.gov.uk along with your name and where you live, and we'll put your questions to Steve next month. If you've missed a previous episode, go to scarborough.gov.uk forward slash podcasts where you can download or stream all our content. And don't forget, you can now find this podcast and its sister programme, Boroughcast, on your favourite hosting platform. So make sure you follow or subscribe and you'll get a notification when we upload a new edition. In the meantime, thank you for listening this time. So from Gabrielle. Goodbye and happy Christmas. And Steve. Goodbye and happy Christmas. And from me, Andy, goodbye and happy Christmas. For more news and information about the services we provide, visit scarborough.gov.uk.